Welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. I'm your host, Paige Geidel, and I am so stoked that you found us. We are a community of creative Christian women in their 20s, and you are invited to be a part of it. Each week, I invite a guest on the show to chat about all things marriage, motherhood, homemaking, small business, and following Jesus. My friend, there is a seat here for you at the table, and I so hope that you choose to be a part of this community. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. My name is Paige, I'm your host, and I am just so glad that you are joining us today. I hope that your March has been going well. I literally can't believe we're like mid-March. March is like kind of a busy month for our family. John had his birthday at the beginning of the month, and Flora, my oldest, has her birthday at the end of this month. You guys, I can't believe I have a two-year-old. It's wild. I love birthdays, and while I should be doing dishes, I've been making mood boards for her birthday party, so that's been lots of fun. Maybe I'm a little over the top, but it's just a good time. Fun, creative outlet. All that to say, I hope your guys' day, week, month is going super well. Hey, if you'd be willing to take a second to leave a rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts, that would be so helpful. I am so encouraged whenever I read your sweet words about the show. And a lot of you guys have been so thoughtful and taken the time to message me on Instagram. And I just want to thank you. That makes my day and is so encouraging. And I would also love if you would just be willing to add a comment and a rating for the show because that will help get the word out about the podcast and lead more like-minded women to our little community. Another thing I wanted to share with you guys is that I'm actually going to be phasing out of ad reads and moving into something that is like kind of scary for me honestly but my husband has been so encouraging and basically I want to provide an option for you guys to give to support the podcast because it does take time, money, energy to meet up with guests and get content out each and every week. I have someone who helps me edit, and so all of that just costs resources. And I love sharing different products and small businesses with you guys, but I also want to provide the highest quality content without interruptions. And so if you feel led, if you have been encouraged at all and feel as though you would like to give, that would be so amazing. You can visit pageguidel.com give and I will also add that into the outro in the upcoming weeks. So phasing out of the ad reads is not not gonna happen quite yet, but in the next few months, you can expect that to happen. Okay, so now I can tell you guys about today's amazing guest. Oh my gosh, today's guest is Elizabeth Moser of Intentional Parents and Wow, I have just listened to hours of her voice on the Intentional Parents podcast. You guys might know her parents or her family. They've been doing ministry in different capacities for quite some time. Elizabeth's brother is John Mark Comer, who has written several books and used to pastor a church called Bridgetown in Portland. And his parents are in ministry, Phil and Diane Comer, who co-host the Intentional Parents podcast with Elizabeth and her husband, Brooke. I have just been so 
deeply, deeply encouraged and grateful for their work at Intentional. Elizabeth has just been like this mentor from afar for me. And I was just so honored and shocked, honestly, that she got to come on the podcast. So today in our show, we discuss what the early years of marriage were like for her and Brooke, different moves, and also what she has learned through her children's various health issues. Elizabeth is wise, she's relatable, she's inspiring, and so, so encouraging. You guys, I cannot wait for you to listen to today's conversation. Let's dive on in. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Oh, I'm so honored that you would have me. I'm excited to chat with you. Oh my goodness. You're honored. That is such a nice thing to say. No, I am. I am. I have listened to your podcast, Intentional Parents, so much. I feel like a broken record because I recommend it to everyone I know. I just did that last night at a Bible study I was a part of. And I'm just so grateful for all the content that you and Brooke and your parents have put out into the world. Oh, man. Well, that is humbling. I feel like some days I'm like, why are we talking about parenting? We're still like in the thick of it. We don't have the proven product yet. But it's fun to get to do with my parents who have all the wisdom. And I feel like we just ask them all the questions that we want to know and have them help us raise our kids so we can help other people raise their kids. But it's been fun to get to do. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like to draw um, some dots for people, which I'm sure you guys get often. So I often say, have you ever read or listened to John Mark Comer, your brother? Mm -hmm. And then I like to share that it's, you know, his parents and his sister, you, of course. So, um, and that usually gets people really stoked. So how fun that you guys all just get to be in ministry together in different ways. Yeah. It's such a gift. I like never, never saw us doing this, but it's been a real gift to get to do it together. Wonderful. So for those of our listeners who have not listened to your podcast, have not heard of, I guess, your family and the ministry that you guys are all doing, could you just share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you live? Yeah. So I am married to my husband, Brooke. We've been married for 15 years, just celebrated our 15-year anniversary, which is wild. Feels like it has not been that long. Um, we currently live in Bend, Oregon, which is like central Oregon. This kind of used to be a small town. Now it's growing like crazy. Actually, everybody from California is moving to Bend. Um, Mm -hmm. We've been here about three years and we have four kids. Our oldest Duke is about to become a teenager. He'll be 13 this summer. And then I know that's wild. And then our three, then we have three girls who are all about to have birthdays. So they will be 10, 6, and 3. Um, and then we have a dog who I was just trying to get to be quiet because he's like <laughs> having a fifth kid. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. our family. And we, um, in Bend, my husband pastors part-time at a local church here. And then um, we do intentional parenting part-time. We kind of all get to partner together. The church partners with it. And so it's just been this really sweet season to be able to do both of those things and stay, you know, one foot in a local church and then um, to be able to do the podcast and conferences and things like that. So that's what we're doing currently while we're raising our brood of children. Amazing. Yeah. And you have kids in like totally different stages, which is 
seems so interesting. Right now I have two in diapers. And so yeah. I obviously I can't comprehend what that's like. Um, so I can't wait to hear more about just the process of parenting and marriage and all the things. But I want to kind of take us back. You said you just celebrated 15 years, which yeah. congratulations. That Thank is so you. exciting. We are three years in and 15 seems like forever away. (laughs) Yes. So how old were you and Brooke when you got married? I think you guys were, were you 19? We were 21 when we got married. Yeah. We were both 21, which is so funny. I look back now and I'm like, who let us get married? How did my dad, my like super (laughs) intense dad, how did he let us get married that young? But somehow he did. Yeah. Yeah. And had you guys like dated in, I guess, your high school years or how did you guys meet each other? So we met at a Starbucks when we were 17. We both worked there. He came and covered a shift at the store I worked at. And um, I had like never had a boyfriend before, never been asked out before. He had had quite a few girlfriends before, (laughs) but we ended up dating for like six months and then broke up for two and a half years actually. And oh my then, goodness. Yeah. And then just kind of became friends after that. And um, then, you know, it did not stay platonic forever <laughs> as I thought it would. I just kind of realized one day, like, oh my gosh, you like grew up and you like became a true Jesus follower. And I think I'm in love with you. And um, so that was, let's see, we were, I think, 20 when we got back together, dated for like another year and then got married. Wow. Yeah. Were did and you have did you have any friends who were like getting married young as well or was that kind of like a shock to your community when you guys jumped in? You know, I think in in like the church community, I feel like so much has changed in the last 15 years. I feel like it was mm. people were getting married younger than they are now. It was more like, yeah. you know, I'd say now most people are, are in their are 30 or early 30s. Then it was more like 25 wasn't abnormal. 21 was young, but not like yeah. shocking. Like it would be today, it feels like. So yeah. we had we had a few, not a lot. We were some of the first to get married, but we had a few friends, like enough to make it feel like we weren't the only ones yeah. um, who were similar ages, like within a couple years. Um, most of them, though, were further along in life, like had graduated college and we're getting married like right after graduation. Okay. And we had Brooke started college later, so he wasn't finished yet. So he was in school um, until, let's see, until our first was like almost one. So we oh ended goodness. up like moving into my parents' basement while he finished school so I could stay home with our son and he could yeah. finish. So yeah, I felt like we were, we started a little behind where some of our friends were, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I just, I love that you're even willing to share that because I think there's so much, I mean, this is like a total tangent and we're just starting, yeah, but um, with like influencers, right? I just mm-hmm. switched to a, what's called a light phone. I don't know if you've heard of yes. it before. Yes, my brother has Which has, yes, been a huge shift and it's been great. We also don't have Wi-Fi at our house, hence why I'm like, at in my parents' basement right now doing yeah, this. And so um, I'm basically never on the internet anymore, which has been 
life-changing, but it's been so wild how since I was in high school, following along with these influencers who I do believe can be great people and role models in their own way, Mm -hmm. um, seeing them with like all of this money and Mm -hmm. not to say that I haven't been privileged and, and had great opportunities and been cared for in so many ways, but it's like I am 22 and I am seeing 20 year olds who have blown up on TikTok who like yes. have a house and have all of these things. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we have two kids and John just finished school and we're in debt and feeling yes. like so behind. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I guess if you're starting young or maybe if you're not even starting young, that's just so many people's yes. realities. Yeah, living with parents and I just appreciate you saying that. (laughs) Oh, of course. I am so glad you said that, though, because I think, and I'm sure this this will like we'll talk about this a lot as we talk about motherhood and all the things. But I think we're so bombarded with this this um, false ideal of what our life is supposed to be like, whether it's when we're in our 20s and we're supposed to have this like powerhouse job and have money and buy a house or or whether it's we're moms and our house is supposed to look a certain way and our kids are always perfectly dressed and like we we we're constantly bombarded with this it's it's not even fully real maybe it is for some people but it's not the majority and right. if we're not like ruthlessly like aware and careful then we think we're behind or yes. we are like the only ones or and i just think i wish that there was like some source of some sort of social media platform that like only allowed the real life stuff. So yes. we could just like look at it and then take a deep breath and say, "Okay, I'm not the only one." You know? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, like I think I I didn't have I didn't know a lot of other people at the time who were living in their parents' basement and, you know, living off of beans and rice and I had I had a few. I had I saw my my brother and his wife do that and so it didn't feel like entirely foreign to me. But yeah. yeah, I think we need to talk about that more because I think everybody either goes through that season or they do or they should <laughs> because <Yes. laughs> it just rids you of entitlement. It grows you up so quickly, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Oh man, you're taking me back to what those years were like. Yes. It was, I mean, I don't think I've shared this on here, but it was even really weird because in California, he wasn't working while he was in grad. Well, he was doing his, you know, unpaid internship. Um, And I was at home with the girls and we were, we qualified for food stamps. And that was like such a strange thing. I felt very strange also like getting organic food on food stamps, but whatever, it covered it and it was great. And yeah, just something that I never felt like I was consciously thinking like, I wish I had this house or I feel like I should be here. But my personality even plays a part in just wanting to achieve and be the Mm -hmm. best. And and just in general, as a wife and a mom, I think you obviously want to like do the best for your family. So yeah, thank you for taking us back to to what that was like for you. So yeah, I would just love to hear. I know you... We've already talked about this a bit, but what were the early years of marriage like? You know, you kind of set the scene of like you're in your parents' basement, Brooke's going through school, but even just emotionally as you guys are like getting to know each other, I heard 
someone say once that they saw like a happy anniversary card that was for a third anniversary and it said something like, happy anniversary, by now you realize that you married the wrong person. <laughs> and it just kind of made me laugh because, you know, even in a short three years, we are so different in part, yeah. I think, because of how young we were when we got married. So yeah. did, you, did you have that experience too? Yes. And I think my husband was just telling me about some thing he read where it was a husband saying to his wife, I'm sorry that you've had that you've had to be married to four different men. <laughs> and oh he was just gosh. saying like of how much yes. you change. And I think that is so our story. And and we knew like a lot of people said had just kind of like I don't know, counseled us or said, like, you're going to change a lot. Like, you're going to grow together. You're choosing to get married young, so you're going to grow together. So I think we at least had that in the back of our minds. But that's easier said than done, to, like, create space to let each other grow and um, not expect your spouse to be the same person every five years, 10 years, 15 years, you know? So I think the early years in many ways were really sweet. I think both of us like were just so excited to be married and we loved that we got married young and I'd say honestly like not to it wasn't like this picture perfect ideal, but I think the our first couple years felt like relatively easy in a sense. Like mm. we didn't really have any like major challenges or major adjustments. I think we had to work through a lot of stuff when we were engaged. And I kind of started to realize it seemed like with a lot of our peers, they either had like a rough engagement and had to work through stuff, or they had a great engagement and a really rough first year of marriage. Like there just has to yeah. be a season when you're really working stuff out. So I think we did that maybe right before we got married. But I do remember us just having to like adjust expectations around, you know, you go, you've lived your whole life with your family and your set of like, this is how our family operates. And in my case, like, these are the family rules. This is how you apologize. This is how you do birthdays. This is, you know, and so I think I had like, well, we're, no, you're not apologizing right. Like we would fight just because I wanted him to apologize at a certain time in the argument. And that is, we still fight about that, by the way. Um, but I think we had like bumps like that. And then it really wasn't, I think, actually until a little bit later, like maybe five years in, that we started to just have to work through deeper stuff, you know? So, and I know everybody's story is yeah. different. I think for a lot of people that's done in the, in the first couple years. But I think mm -hmm. our first couple years were, were really sweet. And at the same time, I know that we both had like these false ideals of what, marriage is for. I think oh. we, even though we'd like, I feel like gr grown up in, at least in my family, like marriage wasn't idealized or I think my parents were really honest about it. And they obviously worked hard to have a good marriage in front of us, but we knew it wasn't just this easy thing. Like they would, we knew when they fought and they'd come and tell us we love each other. We worked it out, but we knew like working through differences was normal. And but at the same time, you know, you're fed from a little girl, all the Disney movies that you meet your Prince Charming and you live happily ever after. And then you get married yes. and you're like, wait, this is not in the movies. So I think we both took a lot of that in and and it took years to realize that the, the marriage covenant is something that is actually 
for our sanctification. It's not for just our happiness and to feel good all of the time, Mm -hmm. but it's actually like sanctifying us and bringing us closer to God. And I just love that the picture God gives us for our relationship with him is one of a father or of marriage and how that really like brings us closer to God and God loves us that much that he will forgive us again and again and again. And marriage is an imperfect picture of that. But I think that had to shift for us to recognize, no, like this is, this might not be super easy, but it actually is making us better people. It's bringing us closer to Jesus. And that takes a long time. I think we will be learning that the rest of our lives. But I think you're in the pressure cooker (laughs) of it in the first, you know, handful of years of marriage for sure. Totally. Yeah, that is so good. Yeah, it's a really hard but I think necessary shift, one that we, I think, are just <laughs> beginning to make that, yeah. yeah, it's truly not about your happiness and like going on fun trips and building your dream house and creating this just like perfect little family. That's just yeah. not, that's no. not it. And um, I think I've been challenged because I can see how motherhood is I mean, I can see how both marriage and motherhood are sanctifying, but it's like right now with my kids being little, little, Mm -hmm. you know, they, Flora wants to potty train. She, I don't know. She's almost two. Her cousins are potty training. So she's really into that. And she, Uh you know, like pooped in the house the other day because she was naked and it's just beginning. We haven't even started actually potty training. And that's frustrating, but it's so easy to write off like, uh, but she's two, you know, Uh she's two. And when it's conflict with your spouse, though, it feels like even if there are emotional things or family of origin things that they're not even aware of that they have to work through, it feels different. It's like a choice. And that is just so much harder to work through and forgive and be patient with. And so, yeah, they're sanctifying in their own ways. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I I am one – that naturally keeps a record of wrong. And I'll go back like, Mm. well, eight years ago, you did this. (laughs) And my husband is not like that. Um, I've been so just convicted recently of just, I've read 1 Corinthians 13 recently, and just the passage where it's explaining what love is, and love is patient, love is kind. Like we all know that, but then when it gets to love is long suffering, it keeps no record of wrong. I just was like, oh gosh, it is hard to love in that way, especially to your spouse. And I think mm-hmm. in some ways it's because you feel the safest with that person. And yes. so you you feel safe enough that all of, not just your like flaws, really it's your wounds come up and you're, you think that the other person is causing those. And sometimes they are, but often it's like stuff that's coming up in us that's causing us to react the way that we are and... Man, I was so back to those early years. I was so unaware of that. I thought everything was his fault, <laughs> and <Wow. laughs> just unaware of what certain things were triggering me. I feel like I'm even just coming into awareness of what some of those things actually are. But I think that's that's the stuff that I think we need to talk about. Is that it's a journey. Like it's not it's not it's not hard because you're doing something wrong. And yes, maybe you need to get some help and you guys and need to work through things. And I think marriage counseling is amazing, but it also is like the, the years that are hard are a part of the process. 
you know, it's a part of truly becoming yourself with that person and then becoming themselves with you, you know? And I think instead we just believe like, oh, I must be doing something wrong. And -and so-and-so has an easy marriage. We have these false ideas that everybody has (laughs) easier than us, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially what's, what's been so strange for us is like, I think we've gone through some of the hard <laughs> learning curves. Yeah, and it, we're in our first few years still. But we haven't had this like foundation that we know. Obviously, you're never going backwards. But it's so easy to have this like short-sighted view and feel like, yes. okay, so this is just the way marriage is. Like, yes, it is just this way forever because yeah. we – I guess our first year was um, easier than before we added kids in grad school and all kinds of things. Um, (laughs) And and COVID, yeah, all of that. Our first first year, we like lived in London and it was so fun and just, yeah, not not all the challenges. But But then you got thrown right into, I mean, kids change everything. And you didn't just have kids. You had kids while you were in grad school in the middle of a pandemic and they're really close together, right? You yes, they are 17 months. Oh, my ago. gosh. Yeah. 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 I feel like you should be talking about this, not me. <laughs> that's oh my a, goodness. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been so much. So yeah. I think when we sit in that and I'm like, oh, yeah, life isn't going to be this crazy and transitional forever, not to have this like grass is greener, yeah. circumstantial mindset that when this happens, then this will happen. But also, yeah. it's funny, whenever I'm telling someone – that I'm meeting for the first time, just kind of all the transitions we have walked through. Yeah. And they, I guess, validate how wild it is. I yeah. feel a little better inside. <laughs> a little more sane. Yes, yes. Yes. It is wild. You have, seriously, that's that's a lot in your first couple years of marriage. For yes. sure. So I like dreaming about where we'll be. I kind of have to like start there and then work backwards and be like, okay, we're yeah. putting in the work and the Lord is kind and sanctifying us and all yes. sorts of things. Yes. A goal of mine this year is to read more. I used to love reading as a kid, and that's something I really want to model for my girls. That's why I'm so thankful to be partnering with Faith and Life, a small Christian bookstore selling books both in-store and online. Faith and Life carries a wide variety of both Christian fiction and nonfiction, various Bible translations, and some gifts as well. A few books I'm hoping to read this year are Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen and Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. I love supporting small businesses when I can, and I know so many of you guys feel the same way. So you can visit faithandlifebookstore.net to get your next book shipped straight to you. Use the code PAGE10 to get 10% off your order. That's page 10 to get 10% off from Faith and Life Bookstore or click the link in our show notes. So what was it like for you guys? Um, Well, first of all, how old or I guess how far into marriage, or you could answer both, were you guys when you had Duke? Let's see. I think we had been married a year and a half when I got pregnant, if I remember right. So I was 23 when I had him. I turned 24 like a couple weeks after he was born. Okay. Um, so pretty soon. I mean, not like mm-hmm. immediately, but pretty pretty soon into it. So we had about a year and a half, yeah, before I was pregnant. So about two years, a little over two years before he was actually born. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then when, how much time was there before you guys moved to LA? I'd love to hear just a little bit about that transition, yeah. that move. So let's see. Duke was... 
he was almost five when we moved. And then we had another, our, our second was born at that time too. So she was two. So when we moved, okay. yeah, Duke was almost five and Scarlett was two. Okay. Wow. Which were looking back, like that was actually a good, it was good ages to move because they weren't so old that they had like deep friendships or anything, but they were old enough that it was a little bit more manageable. And there were only two of yeah. them. So it was a little more manageable than if we were to try to do that right now. Right. Right. You're like sleeping a bit more and yes. those sorts of things. Yes. Yeah. So what led you guys to leave Oregon and go to LA for that period of time? Yeah. I mean, looking back now, I think God just knew what he needed to do with us. Like not Mm -hmm. to over-spiritualize it. Like I just think prior to us moving about a year before, we both just started to have this almost restlessness of just, I wonder if God's going to call us somewhere. And I had, we lived in Portland, Oregon at the time, and I loved it. I grew up there pretty much and had no desire to move. I had no desire to be like a family that moved all the time. And we were a part of a great church and we were just really like had great community people we'd lived a lot of life with. Yeah. But my husband had been in ministry since he was 19 and always working with my family And that had been really great in a lot of ways. And at the same time, he was just feeling like a little bit like, I I need to like prove myself outside of your family. I need to like spread my wings a little bit. And and so we just kind of started talking and that just kept kind of growing and growing. And it's a super long story, but we ended up connecting with um, a pastor of a church in LA called Reality LA. Tim Chaddock was the pastor at the time. And he and my husband just like, really connected. Mm -hmm. And there was like a months and months long process of just talking. And both my husband and I were like, is this it? Are we moving? Do you have a job there? Do you not? But it was like this, they'd talk a bunch and then they wouldn't talk for like a month. And yeah, so it was kind of this, like, I felt just super unsettled. Like, are we like changing our life completely or are things staying the same? I don't know. Um, And was he, is Brooke more... I don't know. I'm thinking about myself in this position and mm-hmm. responding extremely similarly to you. And yes. my husband would probably be like, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Like, I'm not really going to ask him, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He was, I mean, my husband's like super persistent. So he was like calling him and trying to figure okay. it out. But, yeah. it's, but I'm the like planner and I can like kind of handle whatever comes my way as long as I have time to like plan it and order it and execute totally. it. So I'm like, am I trying to find us a house or am I not? You know? Yes, um, yeah. And it was this crazy, like I look back now and I'm like, we would, why did, why did we do that? Or why did, why did I say yes to that? That's like, so <laughs> not my nature, but we ended up like, we're waiting and waiting. And then we get the call from Tim that, Hey, we want to hire you. You'd be like the next in line for us to hire, but we can't afford to hire anybody. But if you want to move to LA and just start serving, you know, maybe God will open the door for there to be a job for you. So we like saw a bunch Great. of times. So, yeah. Yeah. So that was like after a huge disappointment, that was yeah. like just processing, okay, like, is God calling us there? And how do we right. determine that? And we just sought a bunch of counsel. And surprisingly, all the people who we thought would be like, no, that's crazy. You can't move to LA without a solid job and two kids. And 
they all kind of said, well, like, what's the worst that can happen? You live there for a year, and if things are just not happening and it's not working, then you move back. You move in with your family for a few months while you get back on your feet and go from there. And so we, my husband flew down to LA and just said, okay, God, like almost put a fleece out. Like, okay, I need, I'm here for five days and I need enough jobs to provide for my family and I need an apartment. Like if we're supposed to come, that's what I need. And he left Mm -hmm. that trip with four different jobs, all like minimum wage. Like one was busing tables. One was like this cold calling sales job. One was um, washing dishes at a restaurant, like, wow. and this miraculous story of how we got an apartment in Los Feliz and which ended up like a couple people who worked at the church lived in the same apartment complex. We had this like instant community of people around us. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we moved into this little one bedroom apartment with both of our kids. We gave the kids the bedroom and we like curtained off the, what was supposed to be where the kitchen table went. We sold everything, didn't have a kitchen table. Uh-huh. Um, lived, and we're on food stamps for the first six months that we lived there. Yeah. Um, and then so after we'd been there six months, he was hired on, not as a pastor, first just as the community's director, which was like sort of enough money t- to get off food stamps, but not quite enough to live in LA. Yep. And then a few months later, <laughs> he best. became a pastor. <laughs> yes, you know, you know. Yes. <laughs> so it was it was such an adventure, but oh my gosh, we both look back at that time. We lived there almost three years and we just both say like, I never want to do that again. That was really hard, but that changed us in so many ways and ridded us of entitlement. We had no idea we had. Hmm. And, um, I think more than anything, it showed us the value of community when we had just kind of taken lightly the gift of community that we had before and had no idea what it would take to build a new community. And I think it's different. Every, yeah. Everybody's story is different. Everybody's move move is different. And I think every state to state, country to country, like the culture is different. But you know, the LA culture yes. is hard to break walls down. And so it's hard to have authentic relationships, such a transient city and everybody's just trying to survive and um, make ends meet and connect and actors are trying to connect with each other. And so it just, it was hard to build community that felt like it went deep. Mm -hmm. Um, So in many ways it was lonely. And at the same time, there were like a few people that we felt like were instant family that were just felt like carried us through, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I relate so much to the experiences that you're sharing. My husband and I both are from a small town in Kansas. So that's where we moved back to. Okay. And both individually went to college in Southern California. So he went to Concordia in Irvine. Uh He's from a Lutheran family. His brothers went to school in Nebraska, but he's like, I'm different. I'm going to Irvine. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I went to APU and while we were still in the context of Christian settings, we both got exposed to, yeah, just a completely different culture than we experienced here. And I still am so glad, like you said, it's harder to form relationships in a lot of ways, but it did feel like the church, 
the churches that we were a part of, a lot of people were really excited to be there because it wasn't just what everyone does and is expected of you. And yeah, like you said, people that felt like family. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what, what ended up leading you guys to come back? I mean, I asked that and I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds really hard. One bedroom apartment, your kids. (laughs) I'm even just thinking about things that make parenting easy and enjoyable like parks and yeah. Yeah. What, what ended up leading you guys though to, to go back to Oregon? Yeah. Well, we eventually did get a two bedroom apartment, which was game changer. It's a big deal. (laughs) It was a big deal. Yes. It was great. But we, you know, when we first moved there, we were like, we are not going to be like everybody who moves to LA who lasts two to five years and then they're gone. Like we are going to stick this out. Yeah. Um, and, and so we planned on staying and there had been a bunch of changes at the church. Uh, Tim, who had kind of brought us down, ended up moving to London to plant a church, um, pretty just a few months after we got there. Okay. And so things were shifting and, but we still had no, no intention of leaving, but it always kind of had this like thought and dream of planting a church someday. And when our third daughter, Birdie, was um, three weeks old, the pastor of the church that we had been at in Portland called my husband and said, like, hey, I just want to throw an idea out at you. We're looking to plant more churches. Would you guys want to move back to Portland for a couple years? Help us at the church. We need some help right now. We're in transition. Help us at the church for a few years, and then we'll send you out to plant a church. Okay. And I just remember when he got that call and told me about it and, you know, hormones are going crazy. I have a three week old baby, but Mm -hmm. I just like let down. I feel like I allowed myself to feel all the emotions that I had just suppressed and stuffed and Mm -hmm. said, no, I'm going to push harder. I'm going to like, yes, it's really hard to go to Trader Joe's because there's people directing traffic in the parking lot and, I have to like keep my kids moving because nobody has kids. And everywhere I go, I get asked if I need to, if I am going to hire a nanny because I have three children. And um, I just like, I just did it because I had to, but I didn't let my, because I was so determined to like, we're going to stick it out. I didn't, wasn't honest with myself about Mm. how hard it was and that maybe it wasn't a setting that we were going to thrive in. So I feel like I just, all at once felt all of those emotions and felt like, gosh, this could be like a gift and maybe we are supposed to do this. And my husband felt the same thing. And so that was a process of like figuring that out if we were supposed to do that, if that's what God was calling us to do. And we did feel like that's what we were supposed to do. And so we moved back and ended up, God just knew because we ended up finding a house to rent on my parents' street. We lived across the street from them and I have great relationships with my parents. So that was, my kids could walk across the street. My son was in school at the time and the bus stop, he would walk from the bus to my parents' house first, have a snack, hang out with his grandparents and then come home. So, and then shortly after, a month after, our daughter got really sick. So it just, in hindsight, I can see clearly that like God moved us there to start a lot of stuff in us, uproot a lot of stuff in us. And then it just felt like he just graciously kind of picked us up and plucked us out of that and set us exactly where he knew we needed to be for what was to come, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about next. I know that you've shared on your podcast about your family and just yeah, so many of the health things that you yeah. guys have walked through um, with now multiple children. And yeah. I, as I wrote this question, I was preparing. I was like, man, these are some big questions. Each of them could be <laughs> their own their own conversation. Totally. But what do you feel like are some of the the biggest things that the Lord has taught you as you've walked through your children's health struggles? Oh man, so much. <laughs> Cut me off if I'm too <laughs> long-winded because <laughs> I could talk. There's been a lot of things, but yeah. um, so our daughter, when she was um, five months old, she, we had just settled back in Portland and she started having like these, just these odd movements. And I would, did, was not thinking they were seizures. They were just kind of these funny, almost like tick, like movements and long story. Actually, her, her whole story is on our podcast of what the process was like, but ended up taking her to urgent care and she was rushed to the hospital and diagnosed with something called infantile spasms, which is okay. a really rare form of epilepsy. It's like 3% of all epilepsy. So most doctors like never see it in their career, but it was just this series of the right doctors saw her and knew what it was. So she got immediate care. Mm-hmm. But the diagnosis was basically, okay, so if if we can get, we don't know if we'll be able to get the seizures to stop. So what makes this unique is that every day that she had seizures, more more and more brain damage was happening. So most of the time, epilepsy doesn't cause brain damage, but this kind does. Okay. So it's very like, they call it a catastrophic form of epilepsy. You have to treat it like instantly if you want any chance of your child being able to develop or learn anything. So we, you know, we've like just gotten back to Portland and we're in the hospital and the doctors are telling us, if your daughter survives treatment and if we can get them to the seizures to stop, she will be anywhere from wheelchair bound, feeding tube, never talk to you, like completely handicapped to like best case scenario, she will need a ton of therapy over the next five years. And she will have learning disabilities and maybe some physical stuff, um, and but but will be able to lead like a somewhat normal life. And we have no idea where on that spectrum she will fall. <laughs> so, gosh, that was like gut wrenching, and we just yeah. entered into like a year of really intense treatment, and she was severely immunocompromised, so we had to isolate at home. So COVID just felt like, oh, we've done this before. But right. now the rest oh now gosh. the rest of the world is doing it. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's part of you that felt understood in a new way as yes. awful as that was. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Wow. So that was five and a half years ago. And okay. she is on the best case scenario end of that spectrum. She is an absolute miracle. She the treatment wow. the treatment worked. She survived it. It was hard on her body, but she, we were able to keep her alive. We had a great team of doctors. And um, we've spent the last five years getting every form of therapy you can possibly imagine to help her develop. Mm. Yeah. And she still has a lot of struggles that she will carry with her, you know, indefinitely. She has mm-hmm. very severe sensory processing disorder and some learning okay. disabilities and a lot of emotional regulation issues. So in many ways, and she just de- she's developing at her own pace, but she's 
behind. So in many ways, she's, you know, feels younger than she is. At the same time, she's learning to read. I'm homeschooling her. And like watching her learn to read is just like watching a miracle every day, you know? Oh, my goodness. But yeah, that was so, um, gosh, it changed me more than anything has changed me. I think I grew up knowing that suffering would happen in my life, like no, like it feeling normalized. I grew up with my mom going deaf and she eventually went fully deaf and eventually got a cochlear implant so she can hear now. But if she takes it off, she's 100% deaf. My little wow. brother had got type 1 diabetes when he was eight. So I joke that our family just did not win the genetic lottery. So I grew up like seeing suffering, but I also grew up in a church culture that um, just, and in no fault to what was happening, it was just how, I don't know, how faith was being lived out was we heard a lot about like the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength and very little about sitting with your dark, like deep sadness and grief and just sitting in that with God. It just always was like, yes, hard things happen, but we can be joyful because we have Jesus, which is true, but doesn't allow you space to grieve. And so it was such a steep learning curve to have that happen to Birdie and to not have a happy ending, like to have no, and like we still don't know the outcome, but especially the first couple of years to just truly have no idea. And to learn to grieve, I, I had no idea how powerful and how all-consuming grief is, and yet how incredibly healing it is if we allow ourselves not to run from it Mm -hmm. and to just recognize when we're feeling things and just stop and say, I'm I'm feeling a lot today. I'm sad today. Yeah. And that was so – that was such a process and a journey of learning to grieve and learning to process (laughs) – the things people say when they're trying to be helpful and trying to make you feel better, but you really just need somebody to say, I'm so sorry. Like, I want to be here for you. I want to be in this with you, which is the best thing you can say to somebody when they're going through something really tragic. Yeah. You can't fix mm-hmm. it as much as we all want to fix it for them. We can't. So yeah, I think like it that gave me just such a new hope of heaven that like someday – Birdie will, Birdie's brain will be perfectly healed. And like, it just gave me a whole new perspective that this world really is not our home and that there's so much that, that we will grieve until it is heaven. And I think I used to think of grief as like something you do and then you get over and you're not grieving anymore. And I think I will always grieve the life I wished for Birdie, you know, and the life that I wished as her mom, you know, it, it instantly changed motherhood for me forever. And um, I think the, the last five and a half years with her have just taught me that there's such a beautiful tension in holding joy and sorrow in the same breath, you know, and that they can coexist together. Yes. And, um, but that it's not a process that can be rushed. And I think all of us, anybody listening who's gone through the last couple of years, like, there's so much grief and I actually feel like it's made us talk about grief a lot more. But um, 
I think we're all grieving things just through everything we lost in the last couple of years. And we're not just going to like grieve that once and all of a sudden, okay, life is back to normal and we can leave our houses now. And like, it's such a process, you know? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that was wild. And then this last year has been <laughs> even more so. Do you want me to go into that? My other yes, child? I would love yeah. to hear. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that has been, you know, a crazy journey. And I feel like we had, we're just kind of coming up for air a little bit from that and getting used to our new normal. We had actually had, chose to have a fourth kid. Most people asked if she was an accident. She wasn't, she was on purpose, but, um, we just felt like if Birdie was going to be different, we had a four year gap between our second and Birdie and just felt like, man, we want her to have a buddy and if we're not careful, everything will become about Birdie because she has more needs than the others. And um, so we chose to have another one, ended up having another girl. So they're just like, they're like, they feel like what I would assume twins feel like. They're oh my goodness, a lot of fun <laughs> and um, just together constantly. But so I feel like we were just kind of like, okay, coming out of the newborn young toddler stage but a little over a year ago, so December of, I don't even know, 2020? Would it have been 20? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've lost track uh, of time. Yes. Or would it have been 2020? So. <laughs> um, our son just like suddenly got really sick and um, kind of overnight went from being totally normal to he started having like severe panic attacks is how it started and anxiety and OCD and like literally out of the blue. And his body started having all these like seizures, which we found out weren't seizures. They were like, they call them non-epileptic seizures and just like crazy stuff in the middle of the pandemic. And we would take him to the emergency room and they would say, we can't help you. You need a psychiatrist. We'd call a psychiatrist and they'd say, we can't get you in for another six months. And so it was a wild wild like six months of trying to get help and not knowing what in the world was happening it got to the point that we like couldn't leave the house and um just felt like we were losing our son and then we ended up um finding a new doctor who gave him finally an accurate diagnosis he has something called pans pandas which is basically a, he had an infection in his body that his body, instead of fighting it, um, he had like an autoimmune reaction and his, it caused all this inflammation in his brain and basically caused the infection to go to his brain. Um, but we didn't know that at first. And so this doctor has been like literally life-changing and just the biggest gift. And so she was able to do, run all the right tests, find all the infections and has been treating him since August, and he is significantly better. He is honestly the toughest kid I have ever met. He has just faced stuff a 12-year-old should never have to experience. And, I mean, just the deepest of suffering at such a young age. And it's been amazing to watch just how faithful God is in that it's been, I mean, I won't sugarcoat it. It has been like the worst year of all of our lives and so traumatic on so many different levels. But to see that 
God has been able to grow all of my kids, especially my older two, in the midst of all of it and all of the trauma. And um, just to see that God can actually do things while that's still happening is just miraculous. Um, yes. So I'm excited to see like who my kids become after experiencing all of this at a young age. But um, but yeah, that for me was like a whole other layer of, I didn't struggle with when Birdie got sick of like questioning God or being mad at God. And then when my son got sick, it felt like, gosh, like, God, I thought we had gone through like the hardest of hardest things. Like, isn't that enough? Yeah. Like I genuinely somehow subconsciously thought that's the worst thing we'll ever go through. Like nothing can top that. Right. And so that when that happened, it just felt, I just felt like stunned and shocked yet again of like, God, what are you doing? Like I just had to bring everything that I had learned through Birdie and just reading the Psalms. Like if anybody listening is going through something really hard, like just live in the book of Psalms. Two thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. We don't talk about those enough. Of like David right. David coming to God and saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Like he's not, he's not like using all this churchy language to make it sound better. He's like, hey, I'm like dying over here and you've left me alone. But you read any of those Psalms, he always gets to praising God and like mm. remembering the things that God has done and trusting him for the future. And so that process of with my son in this last year has been, I think, just like a deepening of like an honesty with God and letting God just like sit with me in my most raw, ugly state, you know? Yeah. Um so yeah, it's not, it's, I feel like the journey with my kids, I wish I could, it's not a story yet of like, this terrible thing happened and now everything is great and I'm so glad that happened to me. It's like, well, no, it's still, we're still very much in it and yeah. yet there's a like resiliency and capacity and beautiful things happening that I couldn't see five and a half years ago when all of this started. You know, I was looking mm. at, my daughter still does occupational therapy and the therapist comes to our house, which is amazing. And the, uh, last week she was doing a certain like game with my daughter and all my kids came in the room and they all started like helping Birdie and playing the game and throwing the beanbag to her. And I just like stood back for a minute and watched and just thought, gosh, like I wish I could have seen this four or five years ago when I felt hopeless and like, this was going to be just awful forever and sitting and watching the empathy and compassion that my neurotypical kids have for their sister who is different and who's gone through a lot and to see the way they love her. I was just like, gosh, like this is, this is the beauty that is found in suffering and in all those horrible things. Like we serve a God who is so redemptive. And we live in such a broken world and there's so much suffering and brokenness, but God can redeem anything and it won't fully yes. be redeemed this side of heaven. And I will be grieving for the rest of my life, I think, but yeah, there's so much redemption in it too, you know? Hmm. That's so good. So many things that you said, I think will resonate with so many of our listeners. And I was even thinking about like all of these, um, even like smaller griefs that I think a lot of us have that maybe we don't think about that can 
really build up and callous over time. Yeah. And, you know, I think about um, seasons of engagement and marriage and maybe grieving if uh, that just looks different than you thought. Yes. Right before we hit record, we talked about birth and yes. how I know so many of us, um, just birth or postpartum, you know, breastfeeding, it's like it yeah. goes different than you thought. Yes. And I am trying to figure out how to grieve by by nature. It's yes. um, I I didn't grow up. I was an only child, and honestly, it was like pretty easy. I just like wasn't exposed to death or suffering or a lot of hard things. And so oh. I feel like, I mean, I didn't even have to share. I am like figuring all of this out with my husband who is uh, a therapist, very good at feeling his feelings. He would listen <laughs> to only sad songs all day if he could, but it doesn't, you know, I don't know. He knows how to like hold both the joy yeah. and the sadness. I'll yes. go to him if he's listening to sad music and be like, what's wrong? Did I hurt your feelings? Is something <laughs> going on? Yeah. And he can like be happy to see me and also be sad. He's also like, um, I guess, stereotypical middle child and he'll okay. own that in a yeah. lot of things. And so I feel like I just have so much catching up that I'm doing right now as far as yeah. figuring all of this out. And I think it's even been cool to hear you talk about how Birdie's story is just like teaching your other kids about yeah. suffering and grief. And I can say from, I guess, my own like different experience, mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful that they are able to learn how to process all of these things and see you guys processing your own grief and suffering yeah. under your roof. And that's going to give them just such a huge head start in life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. I think like the biggest gift we can give our kids is to process our emotions, to have our own walk with Jesus and to work through the stuff we need to work through to be the people God created us to be. And like, if we are modeling that to our kids and honest with them about it and apologizing to them where we blow it, like that, you know, it, I've heard it said that things are caught more than they are taught. Like if we're trying yeah. to teach our kids to feel their own emotions, but we can't feel our own, like they pick up on a lot more than we wish that they did, you know? Oh, yes. Um, and that's been my husband's joke through this like horribly traumatic year, and which has just brought up like all this childhood stuff for him and for me. Like we've just been at our at our worst and he's like, well, at least our kids are going to know how to process their emotions. At the end of all of this, we are talking about a lot of emotions, you know? But I think yes. I've heard it said, I can't remember who, might be Pete Scazzaro. He does a lot of, like, he does, like, the emotionally yeah. healthy spirituality. Yeah, it might be him. But he says, like, to your point of, like, all these little things we need to grieve. Or if you're just realizing, I'm not even aware. Like, I know there's stuff, but I don't even know how. And which was totally where I was. And I think it's him, might be somebody else, but he says, ask, ask these questions. What am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I happy about? And what am I thankful for? And mm. I think that's just sometimes a good place, at least for me, especially the first two, what am I mad about? Which I can be like mad a lot of the times. <laughs> I struggle with yes. anger. But you, <laughs> you know, anger is a secondary emotion. There's always something beneath it. And usually it's because I'm sad about something. That something mm -hmm. I, some ideal 
is not, I'm totally idealistic by nature. And I've had just about all of my ideals around motherhood just ripped out from under me. And so I can be angry a lot of the times, but just asking like, Hey, like sitting with God, like, God, what am I sad about? And what, what do you want me to know about it? And sometimes you might know, and sometimes you might be like, I don't know. And this feels awkward, but I think a regular practice of doing that is so important. And that's so encouraging because I think if you are able to get by and you make it to eight o'clock or I don't know, whenever the kids are asleep, um, it's not for me fun to like go to that place. I just want to like be happy and talk with my husband and I don't know, just try to maybe take a shower if I'm lucky. Yep. And yeah, to put in that work of asking yourself those questions and dig deep is hard. And if you are like me and yeah, it's something challenging for you. I love that you brought up the Psalms and I'm going to plug, um, Leah Roberts was on a couple episodes ago. She and her husband have a band called Poor Bishop Hooper, and they are two years into this project of writing and releasing a Psalm a week. So it's straight from scripture. Um, they are singing the Psalms and that for me, so helpful. Like I said, in my nature, I listen to the happy ones and it's really hard for me. But if I'm having a hard time, even just like energy wise, like sitting down and reading, if that feels overwhelming, I at least try to listen to them because that kind of, that's just music is a way that the Lord speaks to me and I feel his presence and it like opens me up if my heart is almost like scared of Yes. I don't know why am I angry? What am I sad about? Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, I'm I'm totally going to listen to that because I'm the same way. God totally speaks to me through music. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they're amazing. I'm pretty girly in a lot of ways, but mothering 202 honestly does not leave that much time for getting ready in the mornings. One thing I always look forward to, though, is my skincare routine. And I recently discovered Osea Malibu. I am absolutely obsessed. Osea is a skincare brand with a radical commitment to clean ingredients and sustainability. Their products are made with earthen materials like salts, clay, seaweed, and essential oils. My current favorite is their algae body oil because my skin has been so dry this winter and it just makes my skin feel absolutely amazing. I also really have been loving their ocean cleanser. If you want to try Osea's magical skincare products, visit oseamalibu.com and use the code PAGE10 for 10% off your order. That's PAGE10 to get 10% off your Osea order, and you can also find the link in the show notes. So, oh my goodness, I have so many, so many things that I want to um, ask you. And you were talking about ideals, and I know you've shared a bit about this, but yeah, how have your views of motherhood shifted from when you first became a mom? Oh, man. <laughs> Again, <laughs> stop me because I'll be too long-winded. Um, no, I mean, like I said, I'm just like very – I didn't realize how idealistic I am. And that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, part, it's just how I'm wired. I'm like a perfect, perfectionist by nature. I look – at the world through the lens of what can be improved, like everything has room for improvement. (laughs) And so I think, you know, I had only ever wanted to be a wife and a mom. Like I wanted to get married young. I wanted to have kids young. I didn't have like 
these big aspirations, I really didn't think it through a ton, but I just like, that's what I'd seen my mom do. And I think my mom at the time of raising us, she didn't want, there was kind of this, and still is happening today, but this culture of like moms complaining all the time and talking poorly about their kids in front of their kids. And so she really didn't want to do that. So I think it's not that she wasn't honest, but she didn't, I think in many ways she made it look easy. She didn't talk a lot about the hard years or the times when she wasn't sure she was going to make it through. Like she just didn't talk a lot about that. So, and I didn't hear a lot about that unless it was like kind of sarcastic. And so I think I had this ideal that like I was, that motherhood was going to fulfill me and that um, it was not going to be hard. And that that was shocking to me when it got really hard. So I, I think for me, our transition to one kid was pretty easy. Like I felt like, okay, I can I can do this. He slept really well. He like wasn't a hard baby. He was kind of a hard toddler, but I felt like I, I knew how to do it. And yeah. then when I had two, that started to blow up my ideals of like, oh, I, I did not factor in that I would have a newborn and a toddler. Like I just thought, oh, I did a baby before. That was That was so fun. That was totally easy. But like sleep deprivation while you're trying to teach and train a toddler where like the teaching and training is so heavy in those years. I did not think that through, but I still like, I got the hang of it and it felt like, okay, I was still like, I'm a doer by nature. So I felt like I could like run my home and I was productive and things were clean and organized and I could help other moms do it. And then I had Birdie, which just blew up all everything. And then we had another one. And so I think I had to learn the hard way, like you can try to systemize everything and you can try to run your home efficiently and have all this order and structure. But if you miss seeing the people that are in your home and seeing the children God's given you and all the children God gave me are like intense, there's not a mild one among them. And, and two of them have high needs. And so I think I've had to learn to just like slow down and actually ask God, like, what do each of my kids need? Because parenting is not a one size fits all. And the more kids you have, the messier it becomes and the more you fail and the more you have to unfold and get to know the kids that are in your home. And so I think it's been a journey of just letting go of what I thought motherhood was going to be, and honestly, in many ways, what I wanted it to be, Hmm. and accepting what it actually is so I don't miss what's happening right in front of me. And because especially with our oldest, like who's almost a teenager and recognizing, you know, everyone tells you it goes so fast, but they say that all the time because it's so true. Yeah. So I think it's been a journey, honestly, of just pressing into acceptance and learning what grace actually means. I'm like naturally hard on myself. And when you don't accept grace yourself, then you don't freely offer it to the people you love the most. And um, so I think it's just the longer I'm a mom, the more my own like 
you know, I had a great family. I had wonderful parents, but we all have stuff from our childhood or lies we believed or ways or wounds or ways of operating that we don't even know where it comes from. And I think these last few years of motherhood, especially have just been me needing to like dig deeper and try to figure out, okay, I have one child in particular who's really different from me and she just triggers stuff in me. And I don't, I don't even know what it is. I'm just beginning to figure out what it is and working with a great therapist. So yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm rambling now, but I think it's just brought out this beautiful mess that I don't, and I don't like messes (laughs) by nature, but, um, but learning to just accept what actually is your life and not what you wish it was or what somebody else's life was, but the kids you have, the husband you have, the finances you have, the jobs you have, and recognize that God's like grace and his strength is like sufficient for the day, you know? Mm. And I think especially like if I could tell any mom in the early years, if you can just allow yourself and force yourself to live one day at a time because the needs are so high and it feels like you're going to be in that stage forever. And it is near impossible to process your emotions, to have the time with Jesus that you want to have, to do all the things, to take care of yourself, to, you know, it is like warfare every day to try to do even a little bit of those things, but that's so normal. And what's actually happening in you, it's not that your kids are keeping you from doing all the Jesus things or doing those things. It's that God is actually using your kids to sanctify you and to grow Mm -hmm. your capacity and your resilience. You don't just have the capacity for a bunch of kids when you go like all of a sudden your capacity grows, you know? Yes. So yeah, I think I'm I'm still learning all that and I'm still learning how destructive ideals that aren't surrendered to God, how destructive they can be. Yeah. And yet it's still it's okay to I think sometimes it's the ideals we have that actually push us to create this family culture that we want to have. They're not all bad. So don't hear me saying that ideals are bad, but they have to be surrendered or they become I don't know, for me, they become like just this law and this, you know, and then I'm angry (laughs) that my kid didn't fit into this perfect box and the day didn't go how I planned for it to go, you know? Right, right. Well, and what I heard you saying too is like ideals and acceptance almost feel at odds with each other, but they don't necessarily have to be. They can be a helpful tool and I'm just wired so similarly to you. But yeah, I I had a similar realization that is only now starting to, I'm trying to figure out how to apply it actually to my life that like accepting this is my life. I live in Kansas now that I swore I would never move back to ever. And I have two kids and yeah, we're trying to pay off debt and just so, so many things that we are experiencing. And I think acceptance almost for me for the longest time felt like defeat. And I do want to always be improving things. Mm -hmm. And so to hold both of those at the same time and try to figure out practically what that looks like, it's really hard. I was just talking to some friends in a Bible study and um, she was also an idealist and she was saying, I just feel like if I don't have like 
all this time in the perfect setup, you know, of coffee and just silence and whatever. I just don't even want to do it at all. And yes. it's just so hard to like, yeah, spend spend time with the Lord in a way that yeah. makes sense for your actual life. Yes. Um, but to not to not allow that reality to like keep you from, you know, obviously being with the Lord oh, at totally. all. Yeah. It's like a tension so we have to hold that is like, it's hard to hold. It's hard to, yes. and, and yeah, I used, I think I used to think like similar to what you're saying, like that acceptance is like defeatist, you know, like mm-hmm. you've been defeated. You just have to like, let it all go. And I, I don't think that anymore. I think that, and I'm not saying, I'm saying accepting like the things that you really can't change. Right. Um, and I think I just, for the longest time, just kept trying to, well, if I, if this kid gets older or if I can just get a week to like purge my whole house and if I can just get yes. caught up and if I can just, and then I just realized I'm living my whole life and if I can just, but yeah. what if I like just sit in what is actually happening and ask mm-hmm. God to, to give me the grace for it and show me what he wants our house to look like and what he wants me to teach the kids. And, you know, yeah. and I think I'll Which spend- your background is beautiful, by the way, your house. Oh, well, thanks. So, so nice. Because <laughs> two of the six of us are out of town and this is my bedroom <laughs> and the kids don't have toys in here. <laughs> <laughs> I have just one more question before we wrap up. And yeah. um, that is just what has community looked like for you especially in motherhood. And I ask this because I think, especially in the church, we're like told that community is so important, which Mm -hmm. it is. And I, I mean, I think one of my biggest needs right now that I feel having a five month old and an almost two year old is to have uninterrupted, if possible, sometimes it's not possible, Mm -hmm. adult conversations. Like this is ministering to me so much right now because Mm -hmm. even if I am talking with an adult, usually it's like the constant little corrections and sorry, one second, you know, apologizing um, to whoever you're talking to and whatnot. And yeah, then losing your train of thought and being frustrated. Like I just wanted to finish where we were going with this. And so I think, yes, we know community is important and I feel that it is important, but even going back to like the ideals conversation, like what does my capacity look like? Does it make sense for me to use the free afternoon that my husband has to go see a friend? Like, Mm -hmm. does that make sense? And so I don't know. I just want to know kind of what that has looked like for you and having four kids, some of your kids Mm -hmm. walking through health things and homeschooling. I mean, what is realistic for you and how have you kind of come to terms with with that? Yeah. You know, I think it has looked different in every stage and season with my kids and place that we've lived. And in some places, community has been just like so natural and so easy. And in others, we've had to like form it and start a community group in our house to try to get to know people. And, you know, yeah. so, but I think like if I were to say like few things that I feel like have just thoughts that have developed about it over the years, is first, like, if you have community around you, especially when you're raising your kids, and by community, I don't even, I don't mean, like, this constant regular rhythm of getting to spend time with friends, but, like, if you have 
people around you that if like something hard happened or you just need to talk to somebody or you have people or you just need to see somebody regularly and you have some sort of rhythm with your church or with groups of moms you meet up with or whatever, like be so slow to leave that. I think we're seeing so often right now with COVID is like everybody's moving and just, well, I've always wanted to move here and I'm going to try to do this. And that's not all bad. But I think like if you have community, be so slow to give it up because it takes a long time to form. It's easy to form like surface relationships. It's harder to form like people who are going to stick it out with you in the long haul, you know? Yeah. But I think the biggest thing that I've had to learn over the years, I'm naturally like a responder by nature. I'm not a huge initiator. And I think for a lot of times that was that worked fine. I had a lot of people in my life who would initiate, hey, let's go do this thing or hey, you know, let's read this book together or whatever. And I found, especially honestly this last year, like that I've just felt lonelier than ever, the combination of COVID and then the year with my son where I just couldn't see anybody or really leave the house. And I felt just like totally isolated and lonely and would talk to my husband and say like, Hey, this is what I'm longing for. I'm longing for just like one or two mom friends who like I can get together with like once a month. I don't have, I don't have time or capacity to do anything more than that, but just to actually like know where they're at and for them to know where I'm at and, and not just be like, people passing and saying hi to each other at church, but actually be able to talk. And he just said, well, then you need to, you need to make it happen. It's like, oh yeah, you're probably right. So I think like, I think so often we're waiting for it to just come together, but I think we have to like take a minute and figure out, okay, what is it that I actually need? Do I need a friend Mm -hmm. to just go to the park with? Or do I need a, like, I remember there was one time in my life where I was like, I just need a friend that wants to go to Sephora with me. And like, just, I don't like to shop alone. I just need somebody who wants to go shopping with me, you know? Like, that's Mm -hmm. important too. Like, those types of friendships are important too. And like, currently I need, I need friends who like, know deeply what's happening in my life. And I want to know what's happening in theirs. And I need like, deeper right now. And, and I can't, and also like, not a lot of expectations on me because I can't, offer a whole lot right now. So yeah. I think taking a minute to figure out like what is actually life-giving to you. And so for you, like you said, like if you're, if you meeting up with a friend on that afternoon that your husband has off and if it's super life-giving and energizing to you and you come back like ready to dive back in and your husband sees that and is like, yeah, I'll totally provide that time for you. Then it's not selfish of you to say, that is really life-giving and going to be like something that helps get me through this season of young kids, you know? And maybe it's yeah. totally not that. Maybe it's something completely different. But so I, I think there's no one size fits all. And I think we have to be willing to initiate it and try some things because you might try some group of, of women getting together and you're like, this is not actually like, this does not work with my schedule or whatever. Yes. <laughs> um, and not... this might sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I also think like staying faithful with the people that are in your lives, even when they're challenging or they're going through something hard or you hit a bump in your relationship. Like I think that's the deepest community is community that we can like do the long haul with, Mm -hmm. you know, Yeah, and walk through hard stuff with. And, but I think that that, that is fewer and farther between. I think sometimes there's, groups of people that are are 
incredibly helpful and impactful for the season that you're in. And then you might be in a different one. Like we're in this unique, like you said, with our kids spread, like community is different now because we're, it's hard to find like families. Like if we're trying to form like groups of families who have any kids that are like our, our son's age or either, either like all older or they're all younger. Mm -hmm. So finding like, we're, we're, we had a community group in our house and then basically most of them moved away because of COVID. And so we just kind of paused everything and we're starting about talking about starting another one. And we're like, how do we form one? That's like, there's community for all of our kids too. And it's tricky. Yeah. It's really tricky. And all the families we can mm-hmm. think of have like little kids. So um, totally. anyway, yeah, I just think initiation is huge. I think so many people will respond if you just say, Hey, this is what I'm needing. And most people will respond with, Oh my gosh, I'm needing that too. You know? Yes. Yeah. Totally. I love that. I love that so much. And I appreciate you sharing. And I think that just provides such a healthy perspective of, yeah, figuring out that balance of what the capacity looks like, what the season looks like, and that it's okay for friendships to serve different purposes even. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, My mom always used to say, and I hated it when she said it because I was like, in like middle school and high school. And I was like, mom, you're wrong. But she said, most friends are not lifetime friends. She said, some of, there's a few that will be, but most of them are friends for a season. And I would get so, Mm -hmm. so angry. And now I'm like, oh, mom, you were right. Like there are a few that are lifetime friends and I'm so thankful for them. And then there's a lot that aren't and that's okay. You know? Yes. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And to take the pressure off of, I don't know, for me with, um, like I said, we lived in London yeah. for a while when we first got married. So that was really our first like married community that we formed. Mm-hmm. And then back at APU where I went to school, we had that community. And then obviously our friends here since we grew up in the same community. And yeah, sometimes I would feel so guilty and sad that I like wasn't keeping in touch with yeah. all of these different people. But it is so true mm-hmm. um, that yeah, friends can be for a season. And yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth, I am just so thankful. I can tell you this has been so life-giving mm. to me and I'm just so appreciative that you took the time to share so much of your story with our listeners. I know it's going to bless so many people to just hear what you've shared. I want to just wrap up with a few like way less um I asked you some big questions. I'm looking at this list and I'm like, wow, I'm so thankful we covered so much. Yeah. Um, but these are lighter, rapid fire, dare I say, fun questions. So, okay. all right. What are three things that you have been loving lately? They can be totally okay. random. Okay. Okay. The things that come to mind are totally random. I got a new coffee pot for Christmas that actually oh. makes good coffee. It's like a pour over coffee pot, but yes. has a timer so that it's, ready when I get up early. And mm-hmm. I was like making Chemex every morning, which takes like 15 minutes. And so yes, this is like what... ready. I get 15 more minutes of silence in the morning. So um, yes, I love my new coffee pot. You have to tell us, do you know what it's called? Uh, it's a Cuisinart. And I mm, might just be Cuisinart pour over coffee pot or something. I okay. think I only have Great. one, but it actually makes decent coffee. I used to pride myself on not being a coffee snob, but in Portland, basically everybody is. And I think (laughs) over the years, I'm slowly becoming one, but it does make good coffee. Um, The other thing is 
like we've been playing a bunch of games as a family. We've not like been a game family. My family never played games growing up because we just all just are too competitive and we'd end up fighting. Yeah. <laughs> but we've been playing um, Taboo with our older kids. It's like a game that's been around forever and the younger kids can't play it yet, but they'll like hold the timer and the buzzer and they think that's Aww. great. But yeah, games, especially with the big family, are hilarious and have been a lot of fun. And then maybe a little more serious of one. But have you heard of the book Every Moment Holy? It's like a book yes. of liturgies. Yeah. Uh-huh. That has so good. just been like speaking to my soul. There's, I was just reading one the other day. There's a liturgy for changing diapers. There's actually two of them. Yes. I don't have kids because there are lots of anymore. diapers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, that's just been like so, it almost feels like praying the scriptures in some ways. Like mm-hmm. they just, each one of them just like, orient your heart to this beautiful place like by the time you're done reading one it just feels like oh I took a breath and I like put my focus where I actually want it to be you know so I think if yeah. the, the moms who have very little time most of them are short mm-hmm. I've just found them to just be so life-giving and it just feels like the spirit is in them you know so I love that I'm glad that you brought that up else. because I have it but I I know it's like on our bookshelf. I can see it, but I haven't yeah. got it out since yeah. we moved. And my husband's birthday was yesterday. I know there's a birthday liturgy, so I need to do yes. like a late. There you go. Late birthday. <laughs> yes. And read the diaper changing one as you have two kids in diapers. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How can we as a community be praying for you? Oh, you are so sweet to ask that. You know, I think as we're, I keep saying, in this journey with my son, it feels like we've reached the mountaintop, like the the worst of it, and we're starting to come down the other side, you know? Yeah. But I think just for continued stamina for our whole family, um, especially Brooke and I and my son Duke, and healing for all mm-hmm. of us. And then I think in, in the midst of that, just joy, that there would be just moments of joy in the middle of all of that every day would just be I'd be so grateful for those prayers. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to partner with you in praying for those things. Thank you. And where can people find you? Um, So I think my Instagram is emoser. I'm not – There's always a test. Everyone's like, what is it? (laughs) Yes, it's emoser, E-M-O-S-S-E-R. And then um, for the parenting ministry that we help out with, it's intentional underscore parents. So either of those places, Wonderful. I feel like I have a love-hate relationship right? with Instagram. I'm always like, I'm, yes. I'm done. I'm going to go off of it forever. And then I don't. And I'm still trying to decide how I feel about it. Yes. It's it's a challenge, something that I totally relate to. Yeah. I'm not alone in that. I'm going to look <laughs> into the light phone, though. That sounds yes. amazing. It is so good. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on, Elizabeth. I'm so appreciative. Of course. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of Love in a Cottage. I am so grateful you decided to join us today, and I hope you're going forward in your day feeling encouraged, understood, and inspired. If you liked today's show, I would love to encourage you to share it with a girlfriend. You can also screenshot this episode and share it on your Instagram stories, which will help more like-minded women find our show. 
Speaking of Instagram, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and follow us? Because guys, I promise we're super fun. <laughs> we share content there throughout the week about the show, and it's a great way to connect with fellow listeners and keep up with the guests that you might have heard. We also do fun quarterly giveaways and just share inspiring content. If you're looking for more connection, you can also join our Facebook group, which is linked in the show notes of every episode. There are weekly episode discussions, and it's a great way to find friends and listeners who might be in your area. And finally, if you'd like to support us, you can please write a review on iTunes because this will help boost our show so other like-minded women can find it. Your support means so much to me, you guys. Thank you again for being here. So grateful for you. We'll see you next week for another episode.